Hi, and welcome to a special bonus episode of the Sports Info Solutions Baseball Podcast. I'm Mark Simon. We were supposed to talk to Astros rookie shortstop Jeremy Pena a week ago. That got delayed, and that's all right, because we've got him for this week. I think you'll enjoy the conversation. We'll also be joined by SIS VP of Baseball, Bobby Scales. Let's get to it. Jeremy Pena is having a fantastic rookie season for the Astros, both with his bat and his glove. He's among the shortstop leaders in defensive runs saved and an anchor for one of the top defense in all of baseball. Jeremy, thanks for taking the time to join us. Thanks for having me, Mark. The thing that we always ask players at the start is every story starts somewhere. Your story starts as the son of a major leaguer, so maybe a little bit different from others. But what is your defense origin story? Like, where did you learn defense? I would say in the Dominican, you know, we take we take pride in our defense. Uh, my dad, I say growing up, mostly everything I knew about defense was from him. And then once I got into pro ball, that's when we started fine-tuning those, those skills that I learned from my father. What were some of the things that you learned early on, like specifically? So one of the first things that I would say really helped my defense growing up was picking up the hops. Try to find the hop right away. As soon as the hitter makes contact, you know what hop you want to attack and how you want to attack it, create a good angle and make the play. Was that something like where you would kind of have to count them? We've done that, Drew. I wasn't a big fan of that, Drew, but we, we, we did it a couple times. <laughs> gotcha. But so for you, for you, it was more about finding the hop find, like, and knowing what the hop was going to be as it came to you or as you attacked right. it. Right. So it was just about finding, creating the long hop or the short hop. You know, you want to stay away from the in-between hops. So that was, the, that was our practice. Did you have a favorite play that you made when you were a kid? Like one play in a game or anything? Yeah, I would say in, in high school, I had a couple nice double plays in the playoffs that I will always remember. It was good. It was good. Well, what's Okay, you said you'll always remember it. What do you remember? I mean, it was the playoffs, you know, big situation. And yeah, just the double play to end the inning and uh, the, the team was going, was hyped. It was a great play for sure. What's the best practical tip that your dad gave you as you developed in your pro career? So you always tell me, just take it in, take it all in, you know, enjoy it and attack every single day with the mentality to, to get better. And I would say that's the best advice I've, I've received because it's a long journey. It's a long and hard journey. If you can stay, if you can stay even through all the ups and downs, then I think you, you'll be good in the sport. What was the hardest part of the journey? I would say the sport itself. You know, it's a, it's a grind from the travel to, to, to all the adversity you face. You know, we play a sport where if you succeed three times out of 10, then you're a Hall of Famer. Yeah, it's just dealing with the with the failures, learning from them, and improving. You're playing for Dusty Baker. Dusty, certainly, I've talked to him plenty. I know that he can be somewhat of a fatherly kind of person. Do you have a favorite Dusty Baker moment from the first half of the season? So Dusty's been he's been great to me. You know, he's uh he's encouraged me to to be the best player I can be. Yeah, I'm I'm excited to to learn from him, be around him. And he brings a certain type of energy to the to the team, different like the aura that just you know it's addicting. One of the things about him is that he's heard of everything. Like there's no music that you can stump him with. There's no person that you can bring up where he doesn't know who it is. Is there someone that you encountered like where you were like surprised that a guy who's like in his seventies knows who knew who that was? I mean, he, he's got he's got great taste, you know. He's got the fashion going, he's got the music going, you know. He's got the jokes. Yeah, it's great. 
How has being bilingual benefited you in a baseball locker room? Uh, tremendously. Tremendously because, as you can tell, our team is a lot of Latins, a lot of Americans. So being able to contribute to both sides, it's pretty awesome. Not just in the big leagues, but since the first day I got into pro ball, it's been a big help. Was there a, a moment for you where I, I, where you turned the corner and it was like a, a, you kind of became much more confident with your essentially ability to, to deal with things because of that? I would say it's easier to reach your teammates, you know, because sometimes with the communication barrier, you know, you might have a, some gray area where you don't really communicate fully with your, with your teammate. You get the idea of it. But then you don't really get the real, and that's where I come in. You know, that's where I try to explain as best as I can to both parties. That's what I did my first year in pro ball. You know, I was kind of like the the team translator in short season A. Yeah, pretty cool. That is, that makes you certainly a very valuable person to have in a locker room. All right, so I want to talk some on-field things, talk shop a little bit. We have you and Tommy Edmond as the most effective shortstops in baseball at completing the play when you feel the ball on your backhand. And I'm curious how you developed that. I'd say that's something I've worked on, you know, something I've worked on. I was always a big attacking the ball with beforehand. And when I got into pro ball, you know, I put a lot of work in with Jason Bell. He was my first manager. And that's one of the things we worked on, you know, being confident in the backhand and creating the hop with the backhand and finishing the play. How much better are you with the backhand now than you were maybe two or three years ago? Tremendously. I mean, I feel like the improvement on my backhand has been a big part of my defense. You know, it's something that I've taken pride in in the past couple of years. I'm just going to keep keep working on it, keep improving, and uh, go from there. I would presume that it makes you feel good to know that it's paid off in that you were the best. You and Tommy Edmund are the two best guys in baseball at it so far this season. So, so yeah, certainly. What's up with the multi-bounce throws? I've seen you make those to first base a few times. So when you have Yuli Gurriel at first base that picks everything, he's just kind of just get the ball and throw it in his direction and he, he gets it done. You know, he always tells us, I can help you if you throw it on the ground. I can't help you if you throw it over me. So focus is to always get it to him, either hit him on the chest or if you're going to bounce it, bounce it, but don't, don't throw it over. So the low throws sometimes are, are on purpose. Right. Gotcha. Can you walk us through, we always ask people to, to players to walk us through a couple of plays, and I've got two. I think they were both from the same game against the Blue Jays. You had a really good play on Loris Gurriel, and you had a really good play on Vlad. And I was curious if you can walk us through those. All right, so the Gurriel one, it goes back to, you know, the preparation pre-pitch, and now you kind of have an idea of what the the hitter's swing is looking like, what the pitcher's trying to do. So you kind of have an idea of where you're going to go on the infield. So, you know, it was get a good jump, get a good read on the ball, get it, get rid of it as fast as possible, you know, because Gurriel was smelling the hit, you know, so he just threw it on the ground and let his older brother take care of it. <laughs> and the Vlad play? And then the Vlad play, it was the same thing. Hits the ball hard, so you kind of just react to the sides. Yeah, he hit it, just created a hop by diving a little backwards you know it was up the middle but a little going going back creating the hop and then you know you know you have time so you just one hop it's first base we've talked to a number of players actually about diving and i'm just curious for your your perspective on it as someone who's younger who's got a younger body what goes into the execution of that 
Uh, that's something I've always enjoyed doing since I was a little kid. You know, just practicing diving in the backyard. And, you know, I used to dive a lot in practice in college. You know, and uh, it's something I've always enjoyed doing. Yeah, it's just, it's just part of my game. Do you have, you smiled pretty broadly when I brought up both of those plays. Do you have another favorite play from this season that you might want to tell us about? One of my favorite plays this season, I would say, was in Seattle. Abraham Torre was hitting. He did hit like a little blooper over. I was in the shift playing up the middle, hit it over like shortstop kind of to left field and kind of ran it down and did like a little slide. And, and it wasn't just the play itself, but for some reason, there was a lot of emotion in me at the time. So it, was, it was pretty cool. What's the importance of playing with emotion? Because I kind of get the sense that you, you do play with a little bit of that. I would say there's, you have to find a balance, you know, because, you know, you can't get, like I said, this is a game of failure. So you can't really get too emotional when you don't, things don't go your way. So I would say it's a gift, you know, when you play with passion, when you play with, with emotion, you know, you show you care. You know, it's uh, something I've always done. You know, I, I love this game, and uh, I'm just going to have fun every time I step out on the field, leave it all out there, and uh, yeah, try to repeat it the next day. You had a collision a few weeks ago with one of your teammates that was pretty nasty. How are you, do- how are you doing with that, both physically and mentally? We're good. It wasn't anything serious for me. I know I got a couple cuts in my mouth, but it was pretty minor. So grateful for that. What's the hardest thing about playing defense other than running into teammates? I would say just being locked in every single pitch. You know, you don't take pitches off. You know, sometimes you, let's say you have a couple at-bats where you didn't execute what you were trying to execute, just flushing all that, going back on defense and locking in every single pitch. And then taking it to the plate as well, certainly. And let's do one hitting question just to kind of close things out here. You were really small as a kid. I saw 135 pounds in 10th grade, 150 as a senior. But I've talked to so many people who say that if a guy's that small, if he's going to make it to the major leagues, he's got to be right on the fastball. Like he's got to be like awesome against them. And you are. You're, you're killing the four-seamer this year. And I'm curious how you developed as a hitter and how you developed into a good fastball hitter. I was like growing up. You know, if you can't, my dad always told us, if you can't hit the fastball, then then you're in trouble. You know, you're playing the wrong sport. You know, we always take pride in uh, hitting velo, you know, having good hand-eye coordination and going from there. Once I got stronger, grew a little bit, then my my bat speed got a little better and uh, I was getting some more pitches. Second half of the season, what's the thing you're looking to improve the most at? Second half of the season, I would say... Just being consistent, you know, staying, staying, staying balanced, staying in the middle. Yeah, having fun, having fun with the teammates and yeah, competing. Jeremy Pena's had a terrific first half to the season for the first place Houston Astros. We thank you for joining us on our podcast this week and look forward to watching you play the rest of the year. Thank you, Mark. Thanks for having me. Before we move on, make sure you're following us on Twitter for all the latest baseball insights. We've got daily fantasy tips, player leaderboards, prospects to watch, and much more. Find us at SIS underscore baseball. As we get set to start the second half of the season, let's run through the MLB leaders in defensive runs saved. At catcher, it's a runaway. Jose Trevino of the Yankees leads all catchers in runs saved by a wide margin. Trevino stands out because of his excellent pitch framing. He's also good at stopping the running game. At first base, Christian Walker of the Diamondbacks has range for days. He's able to get to balls in the 3-4 hole like no one else, while covering first base without issue. 
Tommy Edmond of the Cardinals has split time between second base and shortstop, and he's been great in both spots. He leads the majors in runs saved overall. We'll slot him in at second base, where he makes great plays regularly and avoids mistakes. The Orioles have had a nice resurgence this season, and shortstop Jorge Mateo deserves some credit for his great defense. He's the run-save leader at that position, showing great skill in handling both ground balls and line drives. Nolan Arenado's defense at third base for the Cardinals this season gets back to the great defensive work he did for the Rockies. Arenado still seems to be in his defensive prime. He's the run-save leader at the position. In left field, remember the hot start that Stephen Kwan of the Guardians got off to with the bat? Well, he's pretty good with the glove, too. He can throw it, and he can catch it. He leads all left fielders in runs saved. Center field's going to be a tough call for Fielding Bible Awards voters down the road. Right now, the leader is Jose Siri of the Astros, who shows great athleticism on both shallow and deep balls. Lots of guys are right there with him, including Miles Straw, Michael A. Taylor, Michael Harris II, and Cedric Mullins. The first half ended with a defensive run-save tie in right field between Kyle Tucker of the Astros and Hunter Renfro of the Brewers. They get it done a little differently. Tucker's been known to snatch a home run or two away in the right field corner. Renfro has a great throwing arm. Take your pick. They're both excellent. At pitcher, it's the second year in a row that Ranger Suarez of the Phillies has gotten it done, both handling comebackers and stopping potential base stealers. He's allowed no stolen bases this season. And the team leader in defensive runs saved is the New York Yankees. This is quite a turnaround for a team that ranked 29th last season. The Bronx Bombers became the Bronx Stoppers, remaking their infield into the best in the game at getting outs. Those are your defensive run save leaders as we head into the second half. For more, check out fieldingbible.com backslash DRS leaderboard. And we're joined by SAS VP of Baseball, Bobby Scales. Thank you, sir, for joining us. We're going to talk a little MLB draft to start. One of the primary headlines of the draft coverage this year was that four of the, the first five players selected in the draft were black. And I just wanted to get your take on that as we, we are going to certainly talk about them, but I wanted to get your take on that kind of holistically. Well, certainly. First of all, congratulations to all the young men that got an opportunity to get drafted. It's a it's an unbelievable time in their lives. It's an unbelievable honor to be one of the players that hears their names called. Let's be honest, there's a narrative around in the industry, surrounding the industry that African-American players aren't playing the game at, at the at the rate at which they're they once were and is that they're not well where are the black players they're not around where they're not playing baseball it's certainly not true you look at the four of the first five picks where young african-american players these kids are playing the game they're playing it at a high level not just in high school they're playing it in college and the work that they've put in the work that all these young men have put in but the work they put in that work was rewarded drew jones kumar rocker tamar johnson and Elijah Green going two, three, four, and five in the draft. That's certainly impressive. So it's it's a step forward. Shout out to all of the people who had opportunities to touch these young men in their early in their career. And specifically, credit to uh, some of the guys in the in the Major League Baseball development programs. Also, organization called uh, Minority Baseball Prospects out of Atlanta, Georgia. I know uh, they've done good work with these guys as well. So that being said, congratulations to them all. Now, I think the next step is to make sure that we have better representation across front offices and decision-making seats in Major League Baseball. So once we start doing that, you will really see me celebrate. But right now, I'll celebrate these young men getting an opportunity to continue to play this game. 
And this has been a, a topic on this podcast, both with player-related guests and with people working behind the scenes as well. We've had uh, some guests talking about that subject. We should celebrate two Major League Bloodlines, first and second picks overall, Jackson Holiday, son of Matt Holiday, and Drew Jones, uh, son of Andrew Jones. What do you know about each of those two guys? Oh, just tremendous players. I, I, don't, I know I've seen Drew Jones play a little bit. His high school is actually not too far from where I'm sitting right now here in Atlanta, Georgia. But, you know, I, I was actually on the phone with a buddy of mine yesterday that came up in that Colorado clubhouse when Matt Holiday was there and remembers Jackson running around that little place when he was just in diapers and, and what have you. And so the bloodline thing, I think at times I do believe it can be overplayed. Because I remember one time Cabrian Hayes got the question, hey, what was it like growing up in a major league clubhouse? He's like, and he's like, I, I didn't. Like my dad was done by the time I was <laughs> I was born. So, or I was really young and I don't even remember it. But in these cases, I do think it, it had an impact. It, it's I think one of the things is I don't care who you are. Like if you're a young man, you go through a phase where you don't want to listen to your dad, regardless of what your dad did. You gotta remember, like these kids, their dad is their dad. And yeah, their dad did something amazing in, in Major League Baseball. And we should add Lou Collier as well. Um, I'm sorry, Cam Collier to this to this list uh, of, you know, and Elijah Green too, even though his father was a football player, but their dad is their dad. And, you know, the challenge there is, okay, yeah, sure, my dad was good, but I'm going to do it my way. And I think probably what I'm hearing from a lot of these stories is these young men, did a, a really good job of humbling themselves down and recognizing that their father had some really good information to pass on to them in, a, in their perspective. It's just about being a professional athlete. Kumar Rocker too. Tracy Rocker was a heck of a, a football player, as we know, in, in the National Football League. So certainly they learned something from their father's experiences. And, and certainly when you're in a, you know, have an opportunity to get that kind of knowledge from someone that close to you, it can't only help you. But these young men are all talented in their own right. And let's hope that they all make a uh, make their own way and, and have great careers going forward. Holiday to the Orioles, Drew Jones to the Diamondbacks, Rocker to the Rangers after being drafted by the Mets last year and then not signed. Tamar Johnson to the Pirates and Elijah Green to the Nationals. And you mentioned Cam Collier mm-hmm. as well. He went 18th to the Reds and player that we interviewed on the podcast going in the first round as well. Eric Brown Jr. going 27th to the Milwaukee Brewers, the shortstop right. out right. of Coastal Carolina. So that was pretty cool. I got to add one more to him too. Uh, Marquise Green Grissom Jr. went in the draft yesterday too. Georgia Tech. So shout out to all those guys. Like I said, this is an unbelievable time. And I have my own draft story. We'll tell that at another date. But yeah, an unbelievable time in their lives. And you mentioned the father-son connection that also applies to our guest on the podcast, uh, Jeremy Pena, whose father, Geronimo, played in the majors, but Jeremy Jeremy did not travel around in a major league clubhouse as a kid while his dad was playing. He uh, he came after the fact. You also mentioned one other thing when we were talking off air, and that's the idea that in the later rounds of this draft, some things happened that were a little bit different from things that have happened in the past with regards to how many high school players were drafted. Yeah, fewer high school players than you've seen. In talking to some of the people I talked to this morning, I got a pulse of what the draft rooms looked like from several different teams. And and number one, it was the draft. What the depth in the draft wasn't there as it has been in normal years. There was a dearth of college arms, and, and so through really pitching in general, whether it be high school or college, but definitely the college side. There was a lot of injuries to pitching that was outside the norm of what we've seen in years past. It just wasn't, it wasn't as, as deep a draft as you would see. I think there's a lot of pieces to it. Number one, it's just one of those things. The draft is cyclical. There's just, in this particular class, there wasn't depth of player that there normally is. The second piece is, let's be honest, we're in the data business, Mark. This is what we do here at SIS. We provide 
great data points to a variety of people in this industry. And high school players simply don't have the data points that older players who are playing at a higher level have. For instance, a high school senior, I don't know if there's a company out there collecting data on these guys. I'm sure there's probably a, a, a market for that, but they're not going to have the same data points as, uh, say, a college junior that's coming out of the SEC or ACC or a Power 5 school, or even, let's say, an American Athletic Conference, or even, let's say, a Mountain West. They just simply don't have those data points. They're not going to have the data points of a player that has gone to the Cape Cod League. That being said, what we know now is that the more data points a team can have, the more uh, secure they're going to feel in their pick. And as such, you're going to see more players, especially with a shortened draft coming out of college, because those data points for high school players and junior college players simply aren't there. So I think that's probably probably going to be a trend that's going to continue. You have a shorter draft. You're going to see more players that possibly would get drafted even in later rounds out of high school or college end up either in, you know, in four year colleges than in their career. And I think even the percentage of players who are coming out of colleges are, is going to go up since, simply because you have more data points and more opportunity for these scouting departments to learn these players. Adonis Guzman, uh, we wish him the best of luck at Boston College. He was one of the other interview subjects that we talked to when we did our draft pros, uh, prospects episode. He is headed there to play catcher after not being drafted. And also to close, we wanted to talk about the All-Star game and the thing that we got the biggest kick out of, which was the inning of uh, relief pitched by Nestor Cortez to Jose Trevino. You, I, I presume you particularly enjoyed the uh, banter, the witty banter going on between the two. First of all, I am probably a centrist in my baseball journey. I, at one point in my life, I was a very ardent old school baseball guy. To keep the pitcher hitting, the National League game is chess, not checkers. I grew up in a National League city. I was a National League type player. Come in late, defense, pinch hit, hit and run, this kind of, that was who I was, right? And so anything that was technologically advanced or new age was, I, I wasn't on it. Slowly, surely, the numbers, the advanced statistics, analytics, understanding what those numbers tell us, the blend of the two. I am much more centrist in my thinking as it pertains to actual gameplay. I was a guy that said the all-star game should matter and guys should go hard. I would probably have been okay with Pete Rose crashing into Ray Fossey back in the day. That's where I was. Let me tell you where I am now. I love Pitchcom. I love guys mic'd up. Let us hear what you have. Let us hear what you're thinking. Nestor and Trevino last night was epic. I mean, it was unbelievable. What are you thinking? Let's go backdoor <laughs> cutter. Get it there. We got options. Up and in, we can go down the way. I think he's sitting soft. We'll go up and in. Foul ball. We're still in the same situation. We can go in there again. Definitely sitting soft. I mean, it was amazing. These are the thoughts that are happening in game. And I sent out a tweet. I said, this stinks. I'm a position player. It's bad enough when two guys are in a pitcher and a catcher in sync. It's, it's worse when they can actually talk to each other. But I absolutely love it. I was seriously, this was, I was, I was on fire when I saw this. I was like, this is, <laughs> this is what our game needs. Move the needle forward, progress. Alec Manoa was very funny as well, talking to John Smoltz. They also had Stanton and Judge. It was fun, fun times all around. Bobby Scales, thank you for taking the time to join us. We'll see you next week. Thank you. And this wraps up our special bonus episode. Thanks to Jeremy Pena and our VP of Baseball, Bobby Scales, for joining us and to our producer, Justin Stein. I'm Mark Simon. Thank you for listening to the Sports Info Solutions Baseball Podcast. 
Thank you for tuning in to the SIS Baseball Podcast. If you like the show, please rate and review us on iTunes. If you have any questions, email the show at mark at sportsinfosolutions.com or tweet us at sportsinfo underscore SIS.